0: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. This is season 3.5, a special episode <laughs> coming your way uh, today from the Alliance National Office. At least part of the team is in the Alliance National Office. And I will say the licensing body for the late Dr. Howard O. Jones, associate evangelist for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and uh, He was the man, the African-American man, that Billy Graham called to help him in New York City when he was trying to integrate his crusades uh, back in uh, the 1950s. And uh, Howard O. Jones was part of the Alliance. You can look his book up, The Gospel Trailblazer. Great book. Uh, I'm Terry, church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan,
2: uh, the multiplication director in Eastern PA and the Northeast Regional Church Planning Coordinator.
0: And we're glad to welcome our uh, pinch-hitting producer today, Holly Farmer. Thank you, Holly, for uh, being with us. She doesn't laugh quite as much as uh, Caitlin, but uh, she is smiling and chuckling right now, although she is muted. We're on Zoom today, which we do sometimes uh, because uh, Alan is back in PA and our guests are remote, so Zoom was the best option. Hope the sound quality is good. I mentioned Dr. Jones. I got to know him late in his lifetime, and uh, I remember sitting across from him in a restaurant eating lunch, feeling like I was talking to a walking piece of the history and heritage of the evangelical church and the history and heritage of our alliance movement. And we are an all-people's movement from the very beginning, but as we'll hear today on our podcast interview with Dr. Reggie Screen. Uh, even in the alliance, unfortunately, we've had a mixed record on the whole issue of uh, racial justice and and uh, racial reconciliation. So I'm anxious to talk to uh, uh, Reggie about that. So it's a front and center issue, Alan, right now in our sure is. in our culture. What are you uh, What are you hearing and what are you sensing people wrestling with in this whole arena?
2: Well, I'm hearing. Uh frustration. Um, because I think there's so many different perspectives on so many different issues in this that I think particularly pastors and church leaders are hearing so many different uh, views and, uh, they're trying to be, what I'm hearing is pastors trying to be explicitly clear about the Bible and the gospel and wanting, seriously wanting to help our nation move forward in this area and wanting to know how they can make a contribution. But, uh, the, the clarity is needed so we can move forward together.
0: Amen. Amen. So without further ado, uh, we will move on to our interview with uh, Reggie Screen. And uh, so sit back, relax here in the middle of a hot summer. Grab yourself a virgin pina colada and sip away <laughs> as we move into <laughs> this podcast. No, <laughs> Well, it's our privilege to welcome to Equipping You podcast uh, today, Reggie Screen. Uh, Reggie is the assistant to the superintendent in the Alliance South, newly named, formerly Alliance, uh, formerly South Atlantic District. And uh, Reggie, thanks for uh, joining us and being a part of our podcast. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, thanks. uh,
0: So, uh, Reggie, give us a little bit of your background, if you would, in terms of where you grew up and and how you came to know uh, Jesus and and uh, some of some some of your story, please. Yes, um, um, again, thanks for having me. I grew up in uh, Southwest Georgia, actually on the
1: Georgia Florida line, about twenty two miles south of Bainbridge, Georgia. I went to church in North Florida. I'll be one of those kids with that way, you know. So I was born in the church. It was almost like that. I mean, um, I came to faith to about probably around eight, nine years old, in a, a summer revival. Uh, baptized there in an outdoor pool, pushing away the frogs. <laughs> 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 i was so excited. Love uh, it. White. It was a real momentous occasion. Uh, we were, I'm adopted, so I was raised by my grandparents, so we were in Sunday school every Sunday. Uh, my brother and I were, and um, yeah, it was a good, good formation. Good formation. I did that until I was about 18 years old when I went to the Air Force. All right. In the Air Force, I was a bit of a prodigal and then came back and the Lord recaptured me and called me into ministry. And I started attending Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church and the thing grew from like a 80 people to 8,000 people in about five years. Wow. Wow. No advertisement except young people like myself excited about Jesus. Amen. Got to love that.
0: So how did you wander into our tribe, Reggie, and become part of the Alliance? Actually, I can thank Mike Plunkett for that. Um, uh, I we was can thank Mike Plunkett, Plunkett for that. Yeah, yeah, shout
1: out to Mike. Yeah, shout out to Mike Plunkett. Um, uh, I was um, working, looking at working with Freedom in Christ Ministries, and they, they um, had a mandatory stance that if you're going to do that, you had to go through the counseling yourself, and so the closest office was Sugar Hill, Georgia, and Mike was, oh uh, that's where he he was pastoring a Presbyterian church at the time. And I still remember the day going through that. He prayed, Lord, one day let uh, Reg and I work together.
0: Hmm.
1: So Mike, uh, after he left the Presbyterian, uh, started a church, and then took that church and they joined joined with Central Gwinnett Alliance Church, and um, and the Lord just kind of moved me from Hopewell. And over to Central Woodland Alliance Church, over where Mike were, was co-pastoring with Dan Hittiger. Wow. Well, we're
2: glad you're part of you. our family,
0: brother.
1: Absolutely. That's a great little tidbit I didn't know. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah.
2: So in other settings, you've uh, shared some of the painful experiences uh, and manifestations of racism uh, that you have personally experienced in your lifetime, uh, even some pretty recently. Um, would you mind sharing some of those with us? We Really want our listeners to hear uh, your accounting of these.
1: Yeah. Again, I, I reference Chris and I, my my about 18 months older than me. We grew up in down in southwest Georgia, first inland port city uh, on the southwest side. And, um, you know, we used to have the party lines where two families were share lines. I'm, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I'm sure yeah. Terry does. Oh, yeah. And, I do. Uh, Barrow, sure. Playing on the phone and <clears throat> and Mister Mister Grady White up the street. Um, I guess he had had enough of it, and so he comes barreling down the street. And he was he was a uh, one of the, uh, the head deacon in this Baptist church there, and he um, he was upset that we were playing on the phone. and He ran ran up to get us, and my mother jumped in front of him. He said, "You better get those two little boys. I've always always wanted to kill me two little ends."
0: Mm.
1: So we were four, five, six years old in, and um, that's when I knew something was was off. Something was off, and so uh, that's my first real introduction to race and and there's a problem. Uh, from there, um, I'll just I'll skip to to uh, I won't even talk about my Air Force stuff, but I'll skip to uh, when at Central Grenada Alliance Church. I remember. Um, we were taking over Gainesville, um, Road Alliance Church, uh, as a plant, a replant, a restart, I would say. And uh, I remember it was Mike and the two other pastors there. And everybody was getting ready to go to Gainesville to have a meeting with the leadership there. And I'm, I mean, I was part of the team. I'm getting ready to get in the car. And uh, the, the lead pastor stopped me and said, hey, hey, Brad, you can't go. They want, they wouldn't understand you were black. I'm like, mm. wow. You know, that was a, that Man. was, that was a shock to me. And so uh, the stuff settled from that. I went, went on back inside and I studied for my ordination exam. And uh, so I just used that time constructively, but it still was, it was a stinger, you know, It's like, yeah. what did I drive myself into? Man. In fact, they said, you won't even be to preaching that church into, on the rotation for, to about a year. And so that's how they were kind of managing me. It, it wasn't Mike, but that's, I won't say any more about that. And then when I got there, the lead elder, he's dead now, uh, and the treasurer, but he was a power guy. You know, he, you got a pastor in title, and then you have a have pastor in authority, right? So he had the authority there in terms of function among, among the people and I had the authority from the district side. But anyway, he invited me and the family to the uh, to dinner and he said, <clears throat> we, we were just casually talking, he leaned forward and he, right as he was passing me the peas, he said, Reg, I just want you to understand, we don't reject you, you know, your color, we reject your culture. I said, I didn't quite know what to do with that. I said, hey, could you pass <laughs> the color too? You know, you know, it was just like, it was a real awkward moment. Yeah, um, just kind of ate that, and um, and then we were working with the guy in the national office there, uh, and some redevelopment stuff, and and he saw I had a certain set of skills and talents, and I remember him saying, Red, you know there are, there's some as a church or two that has an opening here in Colorado Springs, and I think you would be a good fit. Why don't you throw your 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 name and uh, hat there?" And I said, "I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable here in Georgia." And he said, you, Really, you make a good fit. He said, you know, he said, you're shopping. He was telling me how it was just little microaggressions. He didn't even know what he was saying. He said, plus, you know, you don't even sound black. It's like, oh, wow. what sound like? you know, and then this little list just goes on and on. just, uh, I came, I'm not, I'm not making it up. Um, so I'm back in Gainesville. And so, I mean, you got national office, you got local church, you got district. So the district I think probably was the worst out of of, of them all. I remember um, being at the church in Gainesville and, and as we used to do support like you do, did $2,000 a month for a year. Then it dropped to 1800 Then it went to 1500. Tom Bowden was uh Church planning director and Tom was great because he was a buffer between what was really happening and the say it out in the, the churches out there. And then he had a little group of us, me, Jeff Field, Pot, Jean Pierre, Catching Bouy, just, just a wonderful young group of people. But um, I remember probably three, four, five months into the work there, and I left my job as a staff accountant. My wife had left her job as uh as a legal assistant there and we were because we were driving 30 miles up there to the church and uh, i remember that the, the the day that the subsidy stopped coming it just stopped it was the week after the ds had come by and said hey i hear things are going great here just stop by to check on me and uh, i asked tom about two months later what happened nobody ever explained it he said the ds just Passed by my desk with a list, your name was highlighted. and Said, "Take him off subsidy," hmm. and nobody to this date gave any explanation except when Tom would say, "Hey, it was just a, it was tough working with the DS. He had a lot of racial hangups." Oh, and the man. same DS, this same DS, I remember being so excited. Mike was Plunkett was pastoring a church in um, at Brookhaven. He was working with that working. And the DS came to to visit the work, and Mike and myself and a couple other guys were hanging around and after the service, and Mike's hey, I, I want you to know that there were a hundred and something people here, 20, 30 people gave their lives to the Lord, and just out of one clean swoop that the DS didn't even stop, he just said, Oh yeah, how many of them were white? And I'm like Lord have mercy. Yeah. And so uh, you know, I came to the Christian and Missionary Alliance because I, I, after reading Simpson stuff, I, I fell in love with it, but, I, you know, the the Christ-life message and how he went out to the 100 Italians in 13th Street Presbyterian Church, but that was a far cry from the South Atlantic District at that time and what I was experiencing at that time in the cinema.
0: And we should make clear that that DS is no longer among us. Uh just in case there are people out there trying to figure out who it is, it's no one that's living and serving in the, in the Alliance anymore, yes. but it, it is a grievous thing. And as I said to you, Reggie, when you first told me this story, uh, boy, on behalf of the Alliance, I feel deep regret for that and, and apologize to you that you've had to face that kind of thing. And really appreciate the fact that you have persevered through some difficult times um, to uh, stay with us be a part of our, a very meaningful part of our Alliance family. So Thank
1: you. And I there would say, if it, if it wasn't, you know, Mick, Mick Noel, our current DS, has worked hard to try to provide diversity in, in areas of authority and leadership and power, and I think that's a good thing. I always kid Mick, he's a 60-something-year-old uh, white guy. So I said, I know it's a stretch for you, but you're doing a pretty good job here. <laughs> and I would like to also just kind of give out a shout-out to Tom Bowden because if it wasn't for Tom... I doubt I would probably still be in the cinema today.
0: Yeah. wow Tom's a great encourager yeah. that's been glad to hear that about Tom hey uh I know there's another story in you Reggie about something that happened a uh, year or so ago in relation to a uh, hotel you were staying in i I'd, I'd love for our listeners to hear that story
1: sure i was um my house at the, the toilet my daughter's toilet toilet had flooded and um so the shorter the story is, they put us in the hotel for about eighty days. The Hilton, uh, home Inn you in and suites, but well, that's the hotel I chose. And day seventy nine, I heard it had a knock on the door about two thirty a.m. in the morning. Mm. It was it was I, I was basically tricked out of my room um, by the the night auditor. And when, when I came to the door, because he said my car was getting towed. And when I came to the door, there were two Gwinnett County police officers there. And so they said, your car is parked in a handicap deal. I said, yeah, I have a out there. I'm a, they say, well, vet. You know, I got some injuries and stuff from my military days. And he, he said, OK, walk to the car with me. I walked to the car. And when I opened the door, there were two more when that county police officer in the back. I'm on the back side of the building. So you had a 6'3, 285 pound big black guy with four white cops on the back side of the building. I figured out really quickly that probably wasn't about being parked in a handicapped spot, even mm. though I had a handicap. And so basically, he accused me of being in a stolen car ring and that they had me on a camera. A part of this call of stolen car ring. And every time I would say, no, that's not the truth, you'd get more aggressive. More aggressive. And uh, I could see out of the corner of my eye, the cops had me triangled. He was at point, one here, one there. Both of them had their hand very pretty much near their, their firearms, just in case I made a move on him. I, I stayed out there for about 45 minutes. And um, one cop came in and, and whispered something to the other cops. And, and then he said, you're free to go. So I talked to the, the night out of the next morning. He apologized um and said that they they made him do it and the night this the operations manager they were looking for a black guy that came in the building after 11 o'clock and i going to see that uh, avengers movie and i got in about 11 <laughs> 15 it's a three hours movie and uh the opera the, the not the operations manager but the general manager had he not gone back and looked at the video footage and said you guys have the wrong guy then there's no telling what would have happened. I've wow. uh, since pulled a police report. My name is nowhere on it. Praise God for that. But, you know, you, you, it still speaks of, okay, you detain somebody for 45 minutes. You, you know, you put, you, you put his name in the report. You, you say what's happening. Um, but, you know, the report was kind of scrubbed of the incident once they figured out I had the wrong person. They had the wrong capital. Yeah. I, yeah.
2: uh, I'm sorry I, you went through that, my friend. I,
1: yeah. I don't even have words. So I'll be not to take of nine steel. You know, when you do, when I talk a lot about the multi-generational injury that's in black people from the trauma of 339 years plus of just injustice. I can, just the effects of, of that small thing in my body a year later. And that that they didn't put their hands on me, right? It just was a, an interrogation scare tactic. But mm-hmm. imagine going through trauma of Ku Klux Klan of arrest of of you you name it. Anything was game that generate that stuff uh, impacts me and impacts family. You know, I have to. It just it's just very impactful. I, my meeting with the um, the district superintendents were was the next day that I was getting up and I had to be in Atlanta that next day. And we were just changing over from uh, a lot of DSs, uh, inviting a lot of people, It was a lot of change. And it was normally I could handle the change. (laughs) But because I had just gone through that, I just, I I had made up my mind right then I was going to resign because it was too much going on in my mind and my heart and my body just to be able to, to handle it. I'm just getting to the point right now when I see a cop, that my body doesn't freak out.
0: Mm. Well, so obviously, (sighs) Reggie, there have been uh, a number of recent incidents of racial injustice in our nation, a couple of those in your home state of Georgia, one down in the Savannah area, as I recall, and one in um, uh, Atlanta. So how have you processed those recent events what does this tell us about the state of racial reconciliation in the U.S.? And uh, what do you sense in the church on this issue? And, and and what might God be saying to the church right now?
1: You know, I like to say whatever's denied cannot be healed. There's an underlying framework in our culture that has to be addressed. That it's going to take boldness and integrity and honesty to address it. I don't see. I mean, I see a t- of people outside the church trying to address it, but I think it's for the church to address. So I look at this thing uh, kind of like a four government stance. Personal government. Now, I, I've been leading um, a book club on called um, Using D'Angelo's work, uh, White Fragility for, largely pro, for a largely Presbyterian group and some other groups that uh, there in there as well. And I wanted to use her work because, quite frankly, I think if we go find somebody who agrees with everything that we agree with, you're not gonna get much change there. So I knew it was gonna be a sandpaper approach. And so last night, we finally got breakthrough after four meetings, right? I mean, everybody's been talking, attacking the work, attacking the author, critical race theory, this and this and this and this. And I keep pushing back and say, she's a tool. What is going on in your heart personally? That's, that's what we want to know. And then we can, once we get there, we can look at another form of government that I'll mention here in a moment. And so it took us about, uh, about 85 minutes and then one guy broke down. You know what really is going on in my heart? Let me tell you the truth. This, this other stuff is a smoke screen. Here's what I really been, I've been brave to think about black people. And he Hmm. just laid it out and everybody's mouth dropped. So that what, how are we going to deal with it in our own personal government, right? How do we how do we deal with what's going on in our heart as a as a believers? That's first. Secondly, how are we going to take a real good look at our family systems, right? Um, being uh, what we call uh, mimetic exemplar, imitatable patterns. They pass down from children to children to you know child to child to child to child. How were you formed? How was your father? How was your uh, mother? What were your, what were your uncles like? What happened around your dinner table? What happens when your daughter brings home a black guy, right? Uh, What happens when 40% of people uh, that's black move into your uh, community or, or your, um, or or 40% Hispanic? So how, how, how does your family handle this? So the th- that's the second government. Then we have to address the third one, I think, is a faith community. Why is it really that our churches are still so homogeneous? Well, I mean, really, really, when we get past what's really going on, if we live in a diversity, you know, if you're out in Montana, right, you probably should be 99.99% white. But if you're in... Lawrenceville Georgia and everything around you is multicultural what really is going on there right and what happens if for your church is 40 percent black what kind of conversation will the board have and then I think from there after we get those three areas that are in our area we could do something about immediately then we can start talking about well the civil government we can start talking about, we can talk about the injustices and the laws and the things. And, and I'm not saying this has to be a linear deal. It could be a cyclical, but when we talk about addressing some of these issues, I think we, we have to start with personal, then go to family, then get in faith community, and then tackle the government. So those are the underlying structures that I think we have to look at if we're gonna see significant change in America. Because let's be quite honestly, Uh, There's still a lot of anti-blackness going on in all four of those areas.
2: I really appreciate you uh, sharing these four uh, categories, I suppose. That's what I can come up with at the moment. Um, I feel like a lot of what's going on in our culture is people see a problem and they want the government to deal with it. But the government can't change the hearts of people. And you just addressed three groups of people that, of course, we can deal with our own hearts by the grace of God, but in our families, and our churches, that's the place where hearts can be changed. No policy or law can change. So I, well, I appreciate your really seeing this from a variety of sides, and uh, I know it's because you're living it, and I deeply respect that and honor that.
1: I, well, we're going to have to look at the places. You know, I remember when I was in grad school, uh, they were they were teaching about the difference between Single loop learning that has to do with actions, double loop learning that has to deal with ideas, thinking, and then triple loop learning that has to deal with, with way of being and states of being. And they talk about it, give an illustration about a guy, he was inebriated, and he had everybody in the community looking for his keys there on the beach, on the beach out there. And after about an hour and a half or two, somebody finally stopped and said, well, where did you lose the keys? He pointed over there, uh, probably 20, 30 feet away, he said, over there in the dark. They said, well, why are we standing all under the light here looking? He said, because it's too hard to look in the dark for things, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that s- describes a lot of us. It's too hard to look in the dark areas and places to find what needs to be found so we can really solve the problem. Yeah. That's the underlying structure.
2: Yeah, that's a great illustration. Uh, and we do definitely have to address it these ways. I appreciate that. I've seen a lot of that single, double, and triple loop learning like in a lot of coaching because it really helps mm-hmm. us to get to what's behind the problem. We can't just change the strategy. We have to change the thinking that led us to that strategy. Yes. So, man, you've given us a, a pretty blatant picture of things. As you're looking around now, what are you seeing that does encourage you about maybe changes or some at least some level of progress that we can build on?
1: So I'm like, uh, it's like two sides of a, co- uh, a coin, like a quarter. I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged. Uh, and I think if my grandfather and his father would hear, be here, that in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of countries around the world, people are getting out saying enough is enough. You know, I think, I think then- when I knew something significant is, that happened is when Michael Jordan, the ultimate green guy said, we can't take it anymore. Right, and so I'm encouraged that the voices are coming out together. I'm a little bit more concerned that those voices are as not as many church voices as they should be. Um, I'm concerned that you know while we are stuck on talking about critical race theory and. Marxism you know the king was a communist you know they said at his day when he was out in the streets that we will we are so concerned what could be wrong with the movement that we forget the people in the movement i when I tell my friends as a 90 98 percent of the people out there marching don't know anything about Marxism they wouldn't doesn't care for the country being a marxist uh a country couldn't tell you what critical race theory is if they their lives dependent upon it. They just want the knee off from the systems knee off their neck. Yeah. And so, in that concern, I have, I'm praying and hoping, and I'm 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 still holding on to op- optimism that there's going to be an awakening in what Martin Luther King called the moderates. I'll call them the evangelicals today, and they're going to begin to think for themselves and not kind of purport the Fox News talking points and say, now, let me listen to what these people are saying and let me join the the fight in for justice, for biblical justice that has a subset of social justice. That's what I'm hoping for. And I'm 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 still holding on to my optimism, even though I'm a little bit concerned it's waning a little bit. Well, thank you for holding on to that.
0: Yeah, we appreciate you holding on to it. We appreciate your voice. So you've developed a friendship, Reggie, with uh, Dr. John Perkins, uh, a 90-year-old minister of the gospel and civil rights uh, activist. Uh, tell us about how that relationship came about, how that's impacted you and your, uh, your own life and, and your ability even to speak into some of these issues in, a, in an effective way.
1: Yeah, I was um, about four or five years ago I had kind of, I'm looking at Trayvon Martin and all the different people, Sandra Bland and all these guys, the big guy that kind of got choked out of New York and the, the guy that got killed in, uh, that might've been Ohio somewhere. They left out in the street for four or five days. And I mean, four or five hours. And I, I didn't know the impact that that was having on me personally. I didn't know. And so when I tried to talk to my white buddies about it, a lot of times they'll say something to me like, hey, Reg, just wait. Just wait. You'll see that once the investigation is done, they'll get they these people got what they deserve. And um, I was getting more and more into despair. These are these are Christian guys here that I will be working at the gym with, going to the gym with, uh kids playing volleyball, they were going to the the, the Christian school up the street. And I remember one saying, we were talking about uh, Kaepernick and the protests. And and he said, you know, that dude needs to die. And I'm like, die? Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it was like, how do you go from protest to needing to die? So I had hit the wall. I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I think I'm in the wrong place. Uh, I need to go around people who value me, uh, value people who look like me. And I was thinking about leaving evangelicalism altogether. I just didn't know what to do. There was no constructive expression to anybody. So I remember getting something from John, uh, from the national office when John Perkins had done uh, a breakout group years and years ago. And I listened to it and I said, I wonder if he's still living. So I got on my phone and I called, set an appointment with him. Sure enough, he was there, got there, and w- uh, he came in. We we started meeting about 9, 9 o'clock that night, and the conversation that we had just kind of impacted my life and gave me a grid to think through in these issues because these, this issue is it's overwhelming, right? If you're a person of color to, to you know, to deal with it all the time, right? You know, it's like, it's, it's it's overwhelming. So I remember, John, they said, why are you here, Dr. Screen? I said, because you have something I need. He said, well, that's a good place to start. And he listened to me about an hour, hour and a half. So he, you know, maybe, he said, you know, Dr. Screen, you know why I'm able to cross the lines and minister to different people? I said, no, sir, I do not. That's why I'm here, he said, because I'm not angry. And something akin to like a bomb went off inside of me. And it was like, I believe the Lord spoke to my heart, but you are. And uh, that night was a huge relief. And, uh, you know, the scripture came to my mind, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got a lot of relief that night. And and the next morning, John, we got up to meet again. He, he, he uh, said, my friend and I were friends and I were talking to you about you last night. I'm like, but we didn't finish at 12 o'clock. What time do you guys go to bed around here? And um, so he laughed that off. And then he said, you know, I, I want to tell you a little bit of story that happened to me when I was trying to register people to vote. He talked about how he got beaten basically almost to death. And he said while they were beating him, he had a this thought came to his mind saying, if I had an uh, atomic hand grenade, he said, I will take it and pull the plug and kill everybody here. And said, "Wow." And he said, and then the thought hit: him, my response is worse than their. My reaction is worse than their action. Because he said, "I want to kill everybody." They just try, kept trying to kill me. And he, and and then the thought hit me about humility. He said, "You know, basically, there go I. Save the grace of God, that I, my, I can do the very thing that those people are trying to do to me." And so the thing that hit me was not only just be angry and sin not, but the second thing is you need to be humble. You need know, to Stay in a place of humility because uh, Martin Luther King used to say the doctrine of black supremacy is just as evil as the doctrine of white supremacy.
0: Mm. And mm. So
1: stay in that place of humility. And the third thing mm. he taught me was um, having to do about the affirmation of uh, human dignity. We have to affirm every person's dignity. And, um, and this lesson came in an interesting way because this is when I write when I was getting ready to leave. Um, old guy had pulled up and he was, this guy was quite something else. That He had an attitude, smug attitude. I, again, I've seen this attitude a thousand times growing up on my father's, grandfather's farm. And this guy here was, he was, was, he was just, he just had a bad attitude. And I forgot everything that John had taught me. And John came to the porch, looked at me, looked at the guy, the guy drove up on John, uh, he, he drove up on John's uh, property and I just said, I've had enough. I went on the inside and John stayed out there talking to the guy and what happened was when I came back out 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, you'd have thought they were best friends
0: hmm.
1: and so John basically said, I want to talk to you before you leave and he said, uh, Dr. Screen, let me tell you something he said, anybody can love people who treat them right he said, but very few take the Lord to love people who treat you wrong. <clears throat> he said, your job is to affirm the dignity of every human being. And I said, yeah, yeah, I understand. I, I got it. I'm to, I'm to give dignity to everyone. Oh, he got angry. No, 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 no. You don't give any man anything that which only God can give him and God has given him. You are simply to acknowledge it and you affirm it. And so those three things have kind of undergirded my quest as I uh, gone into this whole racial reconciliation, culture, intelligence, diversity, inclusion work that I cannot be angry. And I can can get angry, but I better not sin uh, doing it. Number two, I better walk in humility. And number three, even if the person is a flat out staunch racist, I still need to affirm his dignity as a, human being that carries the Imago day. That's great stuff and uh, perspectives
2: that really only the gospel can give birth to in our hearts when we realize how much God uh, enables that and how he treats us, empowers us to treat others with the same kind of grace and mercy and truth. So, you know, those are perspective shifts, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm talking to a lot of my Pastor and church leader friends, and and I'm sensing more that do want to make progress in this area, that want to make a difference. But I think a lot of people struggle with like where to start. And I think you know our friend Kelvin Walker has written some good steps, and I've tried to begin implementing some of those in my own life. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm wondering uh, if you could speak directly to pastors and church leaders about steps they can take that would really help them move down the road of making a difference. Um, practically
1: practical steps yes embrace the child the embrace the child of righteous, righteousness righteousness has a child and her name and his name is justice right and so like the it. bible said the throne of god is established on righteousness and justice righteousness is the out well, justice righteousness is the covenantal term and i see justice as a kingdom term so we're back to covenant and kingdom again and i see justice as the outworking of righteousness and it has a personal and a social aspect right and so we must we must i, I wrote down here remember that the people that are crying in the streets are image bearers and uh we need to remember that the bible says if one suffers if he's a believer all of us suffer. And as the body, it's our responsibility to help carry each other's burdens. So do a thorough exegesis on what it means to be a person that lives out righteousness and justice. A good place to start would be Jesus's life, I think. Uh, a, a couple other things I jotted down here is um, make sure you pray for empathy. Make sure you pray for empathy. In, you know, try to walk in the other person's shoes and what would I want done if those were my children and that was that that was happening to and my grandchildren and my brother and my sister. I would say the next thing to do is make sure that you um, listen. You got to listen. Uh, ask the Lord to fill your heart with compassion and empathy and listen to the other person's story and do not. Uh, discard their story by just throwing out some talking points that you picked up from conservative news. Mm. Uh, people yeah. will welcome those stories, welcome those stories. I'll uh, be welcome telling you those stories. Another thing I would say is lose the either or mindset and develop a both and mindset. You don't have to be against protest you don't have to choose pro- protest or police you can you can go i am for justice and for fairness because justice has this idea that there's fairness and opportunity and fairness in the in the discipline and punishments that's given out i'm for justice i'm for uh, uh, uh good cops i'm against looting we can we can be all of those things. We don't have to have an either or. I see an either or. Uh, I see a kind of binary approach, especially to evangelical Christians that we take in this matter. So another thing I would say is uh, I'm, I'm going to give you my website's name. Go, you can go there for a list of resources to read. Uh, www.3l as in love. 3l culture. C u l t u r e. dot and look under the resources section. And there is a whole list of books and videos there. Educate yourself about what has happened and what is. If we do not address this thing at a root level, we'll we'll never be able to address it at a fruit level, right? And so go there. I like it. And uh, the last thing I would say, uh, be a leader in your community. Uh, and um, host a diversity and inclusion or cultural intelligence or unconscious bias workshop for your church and the community. Lead out in this thing. It was Wilberforce, right? And, 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 and Wesley massively encouraged him. It was Beecher up in New York that massively encouraged the abolitionists, Right. We can be, you know, King came out of the uh, Baptist church here, and then it, it was it was those people in the faith community and a lot of good Jewish brothers that helped bring about massive change. We in the faith community can do the same thing. Let not our voices be silent anymore. Take the risk of donning the garments of righteousness and justice, and I think we'll see a massive shame.
0: And we say a hearty amen to that, uh, Reggie. Uh, Yours is an important voice in this whole issue, an important voice in our Alliance family, and we appreciate you uh, putting that voice to good work today in this uh, Equipping You podcast. We'll get your website on the uh, show notes of uh, of the podcast, but we just want to say thank you and uh, appreciate your honesty and sharing things that I'm sure are hard to share and uh, also sharing some very practical ways that we can be an influence for good in this whole uh, racial reconciliation and racial justice conversation. So a big thanks to you, Reggie. Thank you for having me.
2: Amen. It's great to have you, man. I really appreciate you sharing that. Anyway, Praying for change. You, let,
1: let me know. I mean, I'm, I feel like this is the greatest opportunity for the church in our, our lifetime Amen. with this cultural shift to demonstrate Christ.
0: All right. God bless you, Reggie, as you continue uh, raising your voice on this issue. Amen. Thank you, sir. You guys have a good one. Be safe. Alan, what a powerful uh, interview with uh, Reggie. Had a lot of eye-opening things to say. Sure did. Uh, and uh, gave us some very practical steps to be a part of being agents of change in this whole issue of racial uh, justice so grateful for his uh, very honest and helpful input what should folks do if they appreciated this uh interview with reggie and this podcast
2: wow well they need to share it uh you know if, if you're thinking i want to know how i can make a dent in the darkness of racism and to contribute some light to the world so that people can see the, the goodness the love the justice of jesus then then share this with somebody else. And I, I would even go so far as to say, you know, text it to them, social media, whatever, however you choose to share it, but then make a, kind of set an appointment to somebody to say, hey, let's talk about this so we can kind of help each other move forward in this new story. I think this would be a, one of those great episodes to do that.
0: Totally agree. So um, we're glad you were able to be a part of this uh, podcast uh, interview with us. Hope you benefited from it. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Equipping You podcast. Meanwhile, keep the faith.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of
2: the
0: Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this
1: podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.